The girl, her name is Annie, also played by Lindsay Lohan. LOL. What? Shh. <laughs> just gave it away. Shit. Hello and welcome to the Untitled Gen X podcast, a podcast dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's delighted to welcome back my friend and mentor, Jessica Ashley, to break down the double trouble of 1998's romantic comedy, The Parent Trap. But before we get into the Lohan of it all, I'd like to give you the lowdown on the brilliantly beautiful Jessica Ashley. Jessica Ashley is the divorce coach for moms and author of The Blended Family Q&A, 400 Questions to Spark Fun and Thought-Provoking Conversations. She is also the professor of a graduate communication class at Northwestern University. Jessica is mom to a 17-year-old son and seven-year-old daughter and wears inappropriately high heels to the playground. Welcome back to the podcast, Jessica. Thank you. This is my boost today. <laughs> the wordplay, the introduction. Well, you know, we try and I'm so happy to have you back. You were a guest last season, uh, season two, and we covered fame and you were just so fantastic. It was mm. so fun to have you. If I could record all of season three with you, I would. I'm just so happy to have you here. I love being here. I'll talk about anything, anytime with you, Lori. (laughs) Oh, well, okay. So I asked you like, Hey, you have this amazing book that just came out. Like, what can we talk about that sort of relates to your new book? And you suggested the parent trap. I did. I did because now it's a new favorite in my household. It's pretty cute. It is. We landed on it kind of out of desperation going through the Disney plus my daughter and I, and she became so enamored with Lindsay Lohan. Mm -hmm. And so when I told her, we're going to watch it again. I mean, you made a kid super happy. (laughs) Gold star mom points. Yes. Yes. So I, I think for several reasons, first of all, she thinks Lindsay Lohan is super cute, which she is. Oh, yes. And there's like the very proper British twin. And then there's the more of a like sporty. Like your tomboy. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so those appeal to two different sides of Grace's being. And so what a delight. And and she, I think she feels like she has like the inside secret that they're really the same person. Same actor. Exactly. Like she's smarter than the average bear that she knows. And so she sees what's going on (laughs) behind all the planning. And it's always so fun for kids when they know more than the adults, right? Yes. Well, she reminds me daily kids are smarter than adults. So, you know, they really are. (laughs) They're so damn intuitive. (laughs) Like they pick up on everything. And we don't have to deep dive into Lindsay Lohan right away, but I will say, we did watch Freaky Friday a few weeks after, and the girl almost fell on the floor to realize that was the same actor. <laughs> I was like, oh, you you don't even know where this goes. The trajectory is fall on the floor, appalling. <laughs> right. Yeah, she doesn't even know. And you haven't even made your way to the mean girls of it all yet. No, no, we've got a while. In time. <laughs> but I feel like Lindsay Lohan's going to be like a formative 
old school (laughs) reference for her. (laughs) It's so funny because it's like, on the one hand, she's sort of a cautionary tale, but then she, it seems as though she's found her way back to some peace and calm. And that is my sincere hope for her. Might be too early to call it. Blessings. Blessings. Nothing but because she really is such a talent. We can look back on the early 2000s and things she fell into. And it's just, it's so sad because before all of this, she was just this beautiful, smart, freckle-faced, adorable kid who just had a shit ton of talent. Yeah. And she, I mean, she's very precocious, obviously, or she couldn't have brought that to Parent Trap Yep, and other roles. It's kind of hard to stop looking at her on the screen. She has that. She does. She has the thing. She has the thing. Now, if you've ever watched her reality show. Which I have. Okay. <laughs> of, course of course I have. <laughs> then you know the thing can fade. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It's diluted by, you know, I don't know what, but. I hope it's, I hope it comes back. I hope it shines brighter than ever. Everyone loves a comeback story. I'm rooting for her. And like you said, blessings to Lindsay Lohan. Blessings, blessings, but we can focus in on parent trap where she is a precocious delight. Yes. Just a pure delight. I was just going to use that word. So, okay. So this film, it was released July 29th, 1998. It did really well. The budget was 15 million. It made 92.1 million in the box. Wow. I know. I mean, Disney. And it's a fun film for all ages and big names. Oh, yeah. Most definitely Dennis Mm -hmm. Quaid, Mr. Meg Ryan. Yes. Natasha Richardson. Oh, my God. Gorge. May she rest in peace. We'll talk about her. Oh, Oh. I love her. Okay. Yeah. She's fantastic. It was just such a fun watch. And This film was co-written and directed by Nancy Myers. We love Nancy Myers. I mean, the father of the brides, the holiday baby boom, something's got to give and on and on and on. And this was her directorial debut. Huh. And of course, you know, this is a remake of 1961's The Parent Trap starring Haley Mills. And it's actually an adaptation of Evich Kessna's 1949 novel, Lottie and Lisa. So got a rich history. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that part. However, I remember watching the sixties version as a kid. Okay. So I remember that because this version of parent trap came out, you know, I was already out of college. Oh yeah. (laughs) When it came out. So I mean, me too. It, (laughs) it was like at the tail end of what we cover here on, on the untitled Gen X podcast. Like I will cover something like up to 1999, like dare I hit the 2000 mark. I don't know. Yeah. I probably watched it while babysitting somebody. Okay. But I remember watching the sixties one because my mom loved it. And I don't remember tons about it. However, on Disney Plus, when Parent Trap pops up, that other one comes up, right? The older one right after it. Right. But it is really like such old school pictures of it's Haley Mills, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And like a terrible the hair. 60s, the hair with like those two <laughs> short bangs. And it's like, and Grace won't watch it because <laughs> I'm uncomfortable with those pictures. <laughs> Oh, she's turned off just to just the dated look of it all. Right. It's too old timey. That's what she says. (laughs) Too old fashioned. 
Yeah. But Haley Mills, I mean, I Paul mean, is just so adorable. And legend. Talented. Oh, for yeah, sure. Legend. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we should jump into the film. Okay. So once upon a time in 1986, Nick Parker, played by Dennis Quaid, and Elizabeth James, played by Natasha Richardson, met on a cruise ship. They fell in love and they got married. On that very cruise ship. Right? Like, boom, boom, boom. It all happened. And the wedding was like a super classy affair. I was looking at it and I'm thinking nothing in this screams 1986 bride. No. At all. Like there were no offensive shoulder pads. There was no feathering of the hair. There was no like hair claw over the veil. Right. With like the dangle bead in the forehead. Oh, right. Gotta love it. There were no lace gloves that went in in a V over the top of your hand. Yes. Yes. With the really ridiculous sweetheart neckline with like way too much lace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No big poof sleeves. Nothing. No blue eyeliner. No. It was so classy. It could be from any time. It looked like it was from like 30s or the 40s when going on a boat was this like really elegant. You know what I mean? It was just, it was yes. gorgeous. What I wouldn't give. I was like, oh, that ain't no 1986 wedding. <laughs> Sorry. But did you know Natasha Richardson is the daughter of Vanessa Redgrave? I did. Oh, I did not. I did. That's my mom. That's like, you know, my mom weighing in <laughs> on all of the Hollywood royalty lineage. There's something just like magnetic about her. Oh, 100%. She's just such a classy woman. You just adore her from the jump. Yes. And, and then Dennis Quaid with his little like devilish smirk. smile. Mm, that smile. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. mm. I know it gets me too. It gets me too. So, okay. That happened in 86, 11 years. And exactly nine months later, <laughs> we find ourselves at the first day of summer camp at camp Walden. And it's an all girls camp. And we see Haley arrive redheaded, freckle-faced, 11-year-old, precocious, precious kid, played by, of course, Lindsay Lohan. Soon a limo arrives, and we see a girl who looks exactly like Hallie step out. Oh, my. In a mini corporate suit and appropriate flats with nude pantyhose. That's your glimpse at 1998, the nude pantyhose. I'm like an 11 year old girl, 11 year old. That suit was so like Chanel inspired Jackie O, (laughs) right? So the girl, her name is Annie, also played by Lindsay Lohan, LOL. What? (laughs) Just gave it away. Shit. So she's dropped off to camp by her butler, Martin, who's just a delight. And oh, he's lovely. they just have the cutest relationship, don't they? With their, their little, little secret handshake. Yes, they love each other. They say goodbye. Okay. So I think we should talk about casting for the roles of Hallie and Annie. More than 1,500 actresses auditioned for the role. But Nancy Myers had a very specific vision for the casting. She was looking for, quote, a little Diane Keaton to assume the roles. Wow, that's interesting. And of course, she worked with Diane Keaton before that in Father of the Bride. And then later she works with her again and something's got to give. So, um, yeah, but also considered for the role were Scarlett Johansson, Hmm. (laughs) Mara Wilson, who we know as Matilda. Okay, cute. 
Yeah, can see it. Michelle Trakenberg, who we know as Harriet the Spy. Right. And Jenna Malone, uh, oh. who we know from Stepmom. Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think Lindsay was the right choice here, but is she a mini Diane Yeah, I don't see that. I know that they really wanted Jenna Malone for the role, but she ended up mm. turning it down a couple times. So I don't know what was up with that, mm. but I'm satisfied and delighted by the casting of Lindsay Lohan. Yeah, that was a good one. She did great. And I thought her little accent was pretty damn good. It was pretty good. I'm stuck on the pantyhose for a second. <laughs> Let's break this down for 43 minutes, Jessica. <laughs> because <laughs> it really did take me back to like, the first time I got to wear nude pantyhose, I must've been like 11. And I remember like, it was such a big deal when my mom let me wear them. Did you feel like a woman for the first time? Yes. Like a classy lady. My mom didn't want to let me wear them. And then she went to drop me off at school and she's like, everybody, all the other girls in your grade have like boobs and (laughs) are women. So I guess, um, even though I still look like a little girl, you know, she's like, I guess you can wear pantyhose. And I was like, Yes, yes. I'm, I'm not wearing a bra, but I have pantyhose. <laughs> it was like my hope. So anyway, I just, I needed to bring that up. I remember, and it was exactly at this time in 1998, I got my first like official corporate job out of college. And I remember having this conversation with my girlfriends. I'm like, so do I need to wear pantyhose to work? And like, none of us knew the answer. Uh, I think so. Uh, I don't know. Bare legs. Mm, 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 mm. It was a big question. This was all happening in 98. So it all tracks. Yeah. And yeah, the answer was yes. And I did. I did. So I did. Right. And about that time I was purchasing my first, what I called a Republican suit for, for work. I got my briefcase that I got for college graduation to take with me. Nice. That means business. It really does. I mean, it's the ultimate accessory for the boss lady. It is. Thank God we've moved away from that in this generation. I agree. Yes. Now we all just work at home. (laughs) (laughs) Salt. (laughs) Done and done. Yes. Okay. So the names Annie and Haley are actually named after Nancy Meyer's daughters, Allie and Haley. Is it Haley or Hallie? It's Hallie. Okay. Get it together. I don't know. (laughs) You're already mixing them. I don't know. I just work here. You guys, it's hard. You're already mixing them up. Yeah. Well, it's going to happen more. I mean, that's the whole thing. It's the whole switch o change of it all, right? Right. Okay. Well, I wondered because I saw at the end, it says for Hallie oh. at the end, the credits. This is cute. Mm, that's adorable. As Annie and Hallie settle into camp, they have a few near misses that kind of leave us on the edge of our seats. Oh my God. They almost saw each other. Oh my God. They did. <laughs> Right. (laughs) So ultimately, the girls end up in a fencing match with each other, refereed by Marva Jr., the camp counselor played by Maggie Wheeler, who we know as... I love seeing her. I was excited, too. We know her as, oh my God, Janice (laughs) from Friends. Yeah, and there's no trace of the nasally voice. I know. She's just like, she's the fun camp counselor Counselor, like that's it. Yes. So, okay, the girls, they're all suited up in their fencing uniforms. As you do in summer at first day camp. (laughs) As you do in college, because I took fencing in college. Oh, did you? I did. It was a journey. You know why I took it? Because there was a cast member, if you remember. 
in the real world. And she was uh-huh. a fencer. Do you remember her? No. Okay. She had long blonde hair. I don't remember her name, but I was like into it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to take fencing in college. Like, of course. So me and my girlfriend, we took the class and fencing is no joke, Jessica. It's is so, it hard? I bet it's, it's hard. so hard. Made only harder by the fact that you need to be standing. Like your, your stance is with like sort of bended knees. You're sort of in this like high squat position. It's like a warrior pose. Yes. Oh my God. It's horrible. So it hurts. It's hard. The masks are horrible, right? You can't see anyone because it's like a netted mask. And there was this asshole guy in there. You know, there's a guy literally, sorry guys, this is not like, I'm not trying to, to, well, who cares? Maybe just I am. Say it, just yeah. Say okay. It. So, you know how growing up in PE class, there was always that boy in PE who took PE really seriously. Oh, oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. And like, you didn't care. You were just there to like get a passing grade in PE because all of this is bullshit and standing around and hitting a volleyball is stupid, right? Like in the middle of your day. So there was a guy in this fencing class and I kid you not, like we're learning these routines, we're going through the motions and he would just... I don't even know the name for it. The sword, whatever it's called, the saber. I don't know. He's swinging it around and he's like, I'm going to slice you up. He just kept saying that. I'm going to slice you up. Ew. Yeah. He was really toxic. He was horrible. Everyone hated him. And so my girlfriend and I, who are still friends to this day, we tell each other quite regularly, I'm going to slice you up. So yeah, fencing is hard. That's the moral of the story. We can move on. That was a weird sort of detour. Okay, one thing I have a question about was, yeah, could the twins actually not make each other out through those masks, which you're saying yes, right? Because it's hard to see. Yes, that that could totally happen. Yeah. Okay. Second issue I have with fencing that I needed mm-hmm. to know about, <laughs> especially at a summer camp, how stinky are those outfits? Well, yes. How stinky are the outfits? How stinky are the helmets? They're disgusting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're disgusting. Okay. Well, I took riflery at camp, which I thought was pretty Ooh, radical <laughs> with like it. all the farm boys who'd been, who'd been <laughs> shooting guns their whole life. Were they like, I'm going to shoot you up? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, but you did have to lay on this gross mattress, like lay down to, and they were kind of appalled that like the one girl from Chicago would be there trying to figure out how to shoot my parents, hippies very mad about that. But that was the most radical that I got with a weapon at camp. That's pretty cool. I have to say. Yeah. Those boys tried to shoot chipmunks and things like that as they ran by. So that was delightful. Yeah. That's unfortunate. I don't know. It shaped us. It it helped us become who we are, Jessica. Sure. So, okay. The girls are fencing and um, once it's over, they're standing back to back. They remove their masks they turn around to look at each other and they stand face to face, totally shocked. And they shake each other's hands as you do as a courtesy. And there's like a, a bolt of lightning between them. Yes. And they're very uncomfortable, obviously, by what they're seeing. And like in an effort to play it cool, Hallie pretends she doesn't really like see the resemblance. And, <laughs> and Annie goes as far as to insult how Hallie looks and Hallie wants to fight her. <laughs> this isn't going well, kids. Right. It's like how unattractive they are. Right. Right. So, so how did your daughter react to this moment? The big reveal? I think she thought it was funny. And like, (gasps) even the second time that we watched it, I wondered, are they going to play this out too much? Because there are already a couple of scenes 
where it's like they nearly run into each other, but they don't. So I was glad they didn't drag it on. Right. I don't even think we talked about the fact that Hallie is from London and camp is long. It lasts eight weeks. I'm like, go parents. Yeah, that's a long one. You were a camp counselor. I was. How long was camp typically? Well, at the camp I went to, it's like, you can go for one week. You could go for eight weeks. There would maybe be one kid a summer who stayed eight weeks. Most kids, one or two weeks. Okay. Yeah. Eight weeks seems really long. And now when I think about it, it's crazy. I mean, the sleepaway camp that my son, Ethan, is now going to be a, he's going to be a day camp counselor at it, but it's $750 a week. Oh, can you even imagine? And there's no discounts. (laughs) So for weeks. Can you Such even an imagine? And really, why would the mom be sending Annie all the way to the States to go to camp? This is something that isn't explained that I kind of wish they would have given a little nod to. Like, how did both parents choose that camp? This, this camp. Like, I thought it would have been nice. Maybe this is just something that was edited out. There had to be some kind of connection. A mutual friend grew up going there, the nanny or something. So that like, there's this reason why they would both end up at this camp on the East coast. Like, so it was a journey for both of them to get it was there. Thousands of miles <laughs> so for weird. both of them. And it's not like there's nary a girl's summer camp right. in California. <laughs> right. or England. Oh, but throwaway thing that, that yeah. we love here at this house is the one boy who is at the camp. He doesn't know it's supposed to be an all girls camp. You see him on the giant phone cordless phone calling his mom but then at the end of the camp he's still there like (laughs) that is Lindsay Lohan's brother really oh my gosh how funny yep we're like oh there's the boy (laughs) it was almost it's like where's Waldo it's like a little easter egg in (laughs) the movie it's an easter egg (laughs) yeah cute okay so in the next scene we see Annie cleaning house playing poker with her fellow campers right they're playing for makeup and money and I'm like yes This is when Hallie strolls in looking like a total badass and she wants to play. So she says like, hey, loser jumps in the lake naked and thinking that she has nothing to lose. Annie agrees to this, but Hallie beats her in a royal flush. And in the next scene, we see poor little naked Annie jump into the lake and and Hallie and her friends steal her clothes. When Annie emerges, she's like, you know what? Let the games begin. She messed with the wrong girl. Now the real trouble begins. Yeah. Yeah. This is a delightful scene and our house, lots and lots of laughs and amplified by the fact that the last couple of summers when at my parents' lake house, when nobody's around, I've let my daughter skinny dip. So she thinks it is super crazy behavior. It is super crazy behavior, Jessica. I've never skinny dipped in my life. What? I'm a 45-year-old woman. (laughs) Never once. It does feel very free. Very liberating. Especially if you can run and jump off of like a pier into the water. It is. It is. But there's like stuff in that water and you're naked and you're. I mean, and like (laughs) your your bits, your bits that you want to keep healthy. I don't know. Seems like really risky behavior. No, but that's not something you think of when you're seven or 11. (laughs) No. Think of when you're 40 plus. You're like, oh, my bits. I'm like, oh, my God, (laughs) my bits, brain eating amoebas. Like, 
you know some stuff. You yeah. know some. <laughs> so, okay. The girls, there's a series of back and forth pranks, super messy, ridiculous, over the top pranks. Fun to watch, but how do they have access to like syrups and feathers and all of the things involved in these pranks? I know, Where- like simple machines and pulleys and, and all right. of this contraption type stuff going on. Crazy, <laughs> crazy. Yeah. It's so fun though. And it's so Disney to just pull out all the stops on stuff like yeah, that. For sure. I mean, you, you can't have a Disney movie without being covered in honey and then like duck feathers. Yeah. So the camp leader gets drenched in chocolate syrup. It's just a disaster. And so the girls are in trouble. They are sentenced to the isolation cabin together. Bum, bum, bum. That's really a liability for the camp. I mean, if these girls really hated each other, something could go down and someone could get Plus, hurt. They, you ha- they have to like hike up a hill. Yes. To get to the isolation cabin. And they're there without any adult supervision. No supervision. These girls hate each other. Which makes me realize there's not a counselor in any cabin. Oh, no, they're on their own. <laughs> it's like Marva and Marva Jr. overseeing a hundred girls. And one boy. Marva and Marva Jr. are drinking wine, watching reruns of the Golden Girls, while everything else is just going to shit in the camp. I mean, best summer camp ever. (laughs) And they are ranking it. They are literally like fanning their hundreds, right? They just have so much money. Yes. Okay. So the girls are in this isolation cabin together. They hate each other, whatever. And then one rainy day, the girls end up coming together and they begin talking. Hallie shows Annie a picture of her home on the vineyard that includes the back of her father. So she can't see the dad. And she tells Annie that her dad is her best friend. They soon discover they both have a peculiar love of Oreos and peanut butter. What? That's quirky. (laughs) Maybe it's delicious. Who knows? Annie reveals that she doesn't know her dad and her parents divorced years ago and her mom just doesn't like to talk about him. It's like he never existed. They both discover they have an October 11th birthday. Hmm. How odd. We look alike and we have an October 11th birthday. Of the same year. Like what? (laughs) So weird. So Hallie admits that she doesn't know her mother. And soon Annie, I'm going to just call her the smart one. She (laughs) realizes, huh, we each only have a torn picture of that parent that we don't know. Hmm. Hmm. Why don't you pull out your picture? I'll pull out my picture. And on the count of three, we will put these pictures together and see what happens. (gasps) Another bolt of lightning. Yeah. She's so smart. She's a gifted one. They put the pictures together. Oh my God. It is a matching photograph from their parents' 1986 wedding. Yes. So Hallie, you know, the dumb one, she says, well, Hallie, Kelly's very athletic. She's athletic. (laughs) She's gifted in other ways. She says, we're like sisters. And Annie, the smart one, is like, um, we're twins. Hey, ding dong. I know. (laughs) And this is a whole like Annie connection. Annie, the musical connection. Turns out they have each been wearing a locket or a heart pendant. I don't know if it's a locket. With each other's initial on them. This whole time so what 
like they're wearing this necklace, both of them. And Hallie's not like, why does my necklace have an A on it? And Annie's not like, why does my necklace have an H on it? And so crazy. So crazy that not only they're both wearing it, but that they both brought that one half photograph, this precious singular photograph of the other parent to camp. You don't bring your precious items to camp. No, in fact, they're going to tell you to leave your jewelry at home. Yes. Well, I mean, if Marva sobered <laughs> up enough to send out the, the you know, post-registration information. The other question I had is, okay, so they get sent to this isolation camp. Right. Immediately, walls are papered in the, like, teen box. They live there now. Like, they live straight there. up. It's like every picture of, you know, culture club, et cetera, <laughs> is up there, maybe in sync at this point. Right. It's up there immediately. Yep. And Annie's is, you know, I don't know, pictures of the queen and the Beatles. <laughs> I don't know what she had up, but it's like, uh, but then they also have like, how did they, how did they even do that? <sighs> I don't know. They seem to have a lot of resources available to them that I don't quite understand. You can't even find tape at camp. <laughs> <laughs> they found tape and like everything else. I don't know. They were not hurting for anything. Maybe they're just equal levels of sneaky to bring okay. all of this precious stuff with them. Well, they are twins. They are twins. I don't know why they'd have to take that picture with them. I don't, but I, it doesn't make sense. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Truly. It will never solve it. There are many plot holes <laughs> in this film and this beloved Disney classic. They want to know everything about their other parent. And right. um, as it turns out, neither of their parents have remarried. It's been 11 years. They're both attractive, successful, single people, but okay. Nobody has remarried. They have help. They do have help. Not to say they're not in the grind. Okay. But they but could have a social life. Chessie and Martin are there to support. I agree. I guess this is when Hallie proves she isn't so dumb because she's the one that comes up with the suggestion that they just, you know, switch places. And Annie's like, I don't know. We're too different. But like, we each want to get to know our other parent. So let's try this. And hey, if we get found out, our parents have to come together anyway to switch us back. So YOLO, let's do it. This is when the girls learn all about each other's households, families. They practice each other's speech, their mannerisms. Hallie gives Annie a haircut. So fun. Annie has to get her ears pierced by Hallie. Do not recommend this. I like this little montage a lot. I, I think it's too. very cute. They're like the layouts of their house. And then it kind of gets you thinking like, what's all the stuff that you'd have to know to appear comfortable in another person's home? Right. I mean, that's crazy, right? Even down to like, hey, where do we keep the drinking glasses and the forks? Like, right. you would need to know that stuff. There's a lot to know to step into someone's life and pretend to be them. Right. So as the end of camp draws near, the girls say goodbye and then we see Hallie arrive home and she gets to meet her grandfather. She sees her mom. She cries when she hugs her mom. Mm. It's very cute. And she kills it on the special handshake with the butler. With Martin. Martin. Yes, yeah, she nailed it. She is just in awe of her mom. And when her mom needs to take her to the design studio for work, you know, she's like so in it. But when they get to the design studio and there's that photo shoot going on with the model bride, 
right. with that top hat and the veil. I was like, now that is 1986. That is but I loved it. And it was so like God. Cindy Crawford, Naomi Campbell type of like, <laughs> like just jauntiness while in a wedding dress. Oh my God. I die. I love it. Oh my God. <laughs> it was so funny. So Annie, posing as Hallie, arrives in Napa and meets her dad, who immediately picks up on, like, her proper speech. Right. She just slips into it. Yeah. Can't help it. So they arrive home, and Sammy the dog doesn't recognize her, and that's Mm -mm. a little bit sus. Yeah. So dad is soon, you know, his daughter's been gone for eight weeks, but he's soon off with his lady friend. I don't like this part. I don't either. (laughs) And this is when Chessie, I'm calling her the family house manager because she does a lot of things. There was much confusion in our house about what you actually like. Is she a I, nanny? Say, like I said house manager too, because she's always cooking for everyone. She's doing all the things. Chessie tells Hallie that this chippy Meredith Blake, she's a 26-year-old PR executive that her father hired to do work for the vineyard. And mm, her dad is totally smitten with this one. She's like so glam. Of course he is. She's young. She's hot. She's bitchy. Everything's <laughs> tight. Everything's up where it belongs. Yeah, she's gorgeous. And as Hallie walks out to the pool to meet her for the first time, she's actually singing the song, Let's Get Together, from the 1961 version of the film, sung by Oh, nice throwback. Yes. So, you know, Meredith is nice to Hallie, you know, in that fake, in the I fake need you to nice like way. me way. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Hallie passive aggressively does a cannonball into the pool to splash her. And she tells her, you know what? You're just one of the many women my dad is dating. I mean, that was a quick turnaround yes, for someone was. who doesn't even know dad and the buttons to push. So while I questioned Annie's ability to be in character, I mm-hmm. thought uh, some really good improv right there. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Martin and Chessie, they both know something's up with the girls, right? Immediate. Like Immediately. So it's clear to me that these are really the two that are parenting the girls because they uh-huh. understand the nuance of their behavior. I mean, as soon as Annie playing Hallie didn't eat her chili, Mm-mm. game over alarms going off <laughs> not the kids change their mind about what they eat every day but right. you know she was intuitive about it they knew they spend way more time with these girls yeah, I think you're right I think that's fair than their first parents yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> we hear Meredith tell her assistant that her first order of business is to get Hallie sent off to boarding school <gasps> yes <laughs> What a bitch. I think also there's like this weird assumption of like millions and millions of dollars. Although in the beginning, Jesse says she's there's a 1 million reasons why she is interested. So I just thought like this lady either has an exaggerated idea of how this vineyard is doing or dad actually has much more. I don't know. To me, the finance, the financial aspect was a little off. Yeah. Another hole in the story. Yeah. Another hole that we will never be able we'll to We'll never, we'll never. Okay. <laughs> you can't plug it. So Chessie sits Hallie down and starts to sort of begin pulling everything together. And so Annie playing Hallie comes clean and dad comes in and tells her that he wants to marry Meredith. I mean, she freaks out and starts speaking French and then she storms off. 
<laughs> it is weird though. Here, Nick meets this woman, right? Over the course of eight weeks, he decides he wants to now get married and his daughter meets her for the first time. And then like what, a couple of days later, he's like, and we're getting married. Oh, seems a little quick. Might want to slow that down. <laughs> Meredith continues to be a monster this whole while. She, monster. she has the bell that she's ordering Chessie around. Oh, Jesus. Right. But also in this scene, she unbuttons one of Nick's buttons and says, oh, I like yes. it when your chest hair shows. Yes. To which Grace was like, oh, God. <laughs> Jess, do you like a little chest hair? Is that something you like? I don't need to see it while you're hanging out on the porch. No. <laughs> yeah, I, it's not my thing either. But Nick is upset that Hallie's upset that he wants to marry this woman she doesn't know at all. He's really still lured in by Meredith. Oh, yeah. He's so taken. Meredith is like, don't worry, my love. I will go talk to her. And she ends up telling Hallie, who's played by Annie, I hate to break it to you, Angel, but you're not the only woman in your dad's life. Get over it. This is the real deal, and it's happening. You can't compete with the daughter. Well, she's going to try. She tries. She God, she tries. She does. As though she has no other prospects. Right. <laughs> this is the only one. This is in the only one. California in right. Napa. Right. Jesus. <laughs> this is happening in like two weeks. They're going to get married like straight away. Terrible move on dad's part. God, what's his hurry? Right. I mean, yeah. So Annie playing Hallie sends... Allie playing Annie, an urgent 911 fax, a facsimile. <laughs> Not even worth explaining to a small child what this is. It's just a message that came through pre-email. <laughs> On really <Or> <laughs> weird paper. <laughs> right. Hallie calls her back. She finds out about the wedding. The grandfather catches her. And so she has to tell him what's up. Okay, so now grandpa's in the know. Hallie, as Annie tries to convince her mom to go to California and the mom, this is when she finally realizes that, oh my gosh, you aren't Annie, you're Hallie. Mom isn't mad. She's overjoyed to have her daughter back. And she agrees to go to California to meet up with Nick and Annie in San Francisco. Mom is nervous. So she asks Martin to come along on her trip to California. And by now, everyone but Nick and Meredith know about this big switch change we have to say that Martin comes out in his rock and roll gear rather than his proper butler yes. gear. And we know this is a vibe. Like this trip is a vibe. I was getting the sense that Martin was gay. Well, who wouldn't? Right. And now <laughs> uh, we find out later he is not gay. Not at all. He's just showing off. Okay. There, there could be more to that. There could be nuance. Bless. Yes. This is when Nick and Meredith are at the hotel with Meredith's parents to celebrate the pending nuptials and look at like space to possibly like have the wedding space. there. Yes. Yes. Right. Okay. Here's a fun fact. The one that played Meredith's mom is Joanna Barnes, who originally played the wicked girlfriend in the <gasps> original parent trap. What? Yeah. So Aww. now she's playing her mom. That's cool, really huh? cute. That's cute. Yes. And she says, you can call me aunt Vicky, which <laughs> Weird. Because you wouldn't be an aunt, but no, you'd okay. be like step grandma. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Elizabeth and Hallie arrive, and Elizabeth 
is drunk. They arrived at the hotel and she is just sloshed. She had never drunk that much before. Nope. Nope. She can barely walk. She, I guess, was just drinking to calm her nerves. And she way over calmed them. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So again, after a whole bunch of near misses, Elizabeth catches Nick's eye as he's in the elevator kissing Meredith. So she can't see Meredith. Meredith's back is to her. It's super awkward. Elizabeth meets up with both the girls and she's like super upset that she was lied to about why she was coming. And she tells them, you need to tell your dad that I'm only here to switch you girls back. And this is when Chessie and Martin meet and there's instant chemistry. Oh, more more of the electricity. It's I mean, happening. she's a lot of woman. Like she is. Mm. I love Chessie. I love her. Oh, she's like sassy. She's smart. She's beautiful. Like, why didn't dad end up with Chessie? I don't know. I mean, he had a catch there all along. He likes women who are 15 years younger. I guess. So this is when Elizabeth and Meredith meet at the hotel bar. Meredith realizes who Elizabeth is, that she's a famous wedding dress designer. And she's like, oh my God, I want you to design my wedding dress. In two weeks. Do this in two weeks. And neither one of them, of course, knows who the other is. So outside, Nick spots Elizabeth by the pool and he goes to see her and he falls in. Okay. But he does when he sees her, he gets a little giddy. Yes. There's a spring in his step. He's excited. So this is when both girls show up to explain that they met at camp and they switched places and, and he's not mad either. He's just happy to see Annie. And my whole thing is like, who decided splitting up the girls, right? Giving up a child was the answer when they decided to divorce 11 years and nine months ago. So that they would never see each other again. Okay, first of all, there's so many things to unpack with that, but like even just from like a health perspective, okay? What <laughs> if one of them needed a kidney? What if one of them needed bone marrow or something that the other could totally help them out with in their whole life? Not to mention all of the emotional stuff, but like the practical health benefits of this. Right. Plus, what kind of parent doesn't want their other like this is just so bizarre to me because these are intelligent people. They're successful in their businesses. Who decided, okay, I'm going to take this one. You take that one. It's been nice knowing you later. Bye. They fell in love, got married, had babies, and it was enough to take a baby and leave. But there was enough there for maybe sparking something 11 years later. Why? And he never told Meredith that his daughter had a twin. He never mentioned it. Uh, Yeah, like, uh, oh, yeah, you were going to probably never find that out. It was a secret. That they were both okay with, presumably. They both thought this was a good idea. And the people in their lives keep it a secret, too. How long were the mom and dad together after the babies were born? Because they're about to turn 12. Yeah. So, like, was it, like, immediately afterwards? Was it in the hospital? (laughs) It's discharge day. Okay, you take this one. I'll take that one. It's been real. Catch you never. Right. And then they have different last names. So that's like a birth certificate situation. Right. I have so many questions. 
No, we're suspending so much disbelief here. Like we're just, we are, we're just supposed to roll with it because we want these girls to be together and we want the hot parents to be together. I'm parent shaming right now. Okay. Also in this big glob of plot hole is the fact that Elizabeth says to Nick, oh, you have a successful um, vineyard. And he says, oh, you're like a fancy pants wedding designer who's in vogue. And they're like, we both made our dreams come true. And it's been 11 years. So not that you can't make a dream come true in that amount of time, but like that is a lot of movement in a career while single parenting. Okay. Okay. But with a small child, they both have help, like you said, and a lot of cash. So they have resources, they have help. And also maybe if you only have one kid, it's a lot easier to make your dreams come true. Is this what we're deciding now? Couldn't have done it with both. Couldn't have done it with two. Oh my God. Couldn't have done it with shared custody. You can only do that with one kid. Sole custody. Transatlantically. (laughs) Right. It's the only way. Maybe you can make your dreams come true if you just don't have the love of your life in your life. Huh. Your career dreams. I don't know. So the girls leave and then Meredith shows up. She finds out, oh shit, there are two girls. Now that's two boarding school tuitions. Right. <laughs> Just seriously taking a chunk out of her prenup. Yes, this is getting expensive. Yes, she's pissed about it. Understandably though, but why wouldn't Nick even tell her what was up? That's a red flag. Divorce coach, what say you? <laughs> I say this is not a good idea from the beginning. I'm not saying it's the formula, but a lot of my clients got married quickly. Really? They did. They were not dating for very long. They got married quickly. Sometimes playing a part in that is a pregnancy, sometimes Mm -hmm. not, but it comes up very often. It is a quick romance before marriage. Well, I think that if mom Elizabeth had consulted Jessica Ashley, divorce coach for moms before uh, leaving Nick in such a hurry to go back to London, I think things might've played out differently. I think he would have steered her in a much better direction. I might've said, maybe work on your communication skills with the other person. If you feel that they're worth investing in. I think that that's a really good point because we learn In the very next scene, the girls have set up on a yacht, this beautiful romantic meal to recreate, you know, the QE2. Yes. Yes. (laughs) The QE2 to spark those old romance flames. And, you know, grandpa paid for it. Well, grandpa is big bucks. Yeah. Right there. (laughs) So they set up this, you know, lovely little romantic meal and they start talking about sort of what has happened since like they toasted to their daughters. Mm -hmm. That was sweet. They remarked that they both got what they wanted career-wise. Miracle. Miracle among miracles. Uh, uh, Doodles on a newspaper to Vogue one decade. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's all it took. Yes. Then they start talking about how they could possibly like split time with the girls and Nick ultimately asks Elizabeth why she left. And I'm like, so she left and you never asked her why? With a baby. With with (laughs) half of your children. And she's like, you know what? We were young and we said stupid things. And then she says, you know, I was really hurt that you didn't follow me after I left. 
Okay. So I got married young. I got married at 22. I've been with my husband since I was 18. And um, we say stupid things all the time. We say stupid things literally every single day. This was not enough of a reason. I felt like something had to happen. There wasn't like a thing that happened. What in the relationship made her decide, not only do I not want to be married to you anymore, I don't even want to share custody of these children with you. I don't even want to co-parent with you. I just need out. Are we left to believe that he was ambivalent to this? He didn't care or that he was too hurt to reach out? I have so many questions. And he was just like, I'll just take my baby and go. I'll just raise her to drink wine (laughs) (laughs) because we know she has a palate because she tastes one horrible scene, appalling. Why did they keep that in there? I don't know. So good. (laughs) But also, yes, this question. Okay. Let's just put ourselves into this Disney moment. Okay. You are a single parent raising a baby on your own. Yeah. At some point, that baby is screaming through the night, colic. There's an emergency room visit. There is something where you are like, fuck this. I am enraged at the other parent because I have to handle this alone and I need support, validation. I got to vent it somewhere. You call that parent and rage, right? You, 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 I mean, that's what I do, (laughs) right? You can't help it, right? You're covered in snot and throw up and you're like desperate. It's 3am and you're like, I am calling. They said they had not seen or talked to each other and all that. That is not, no, no, no. Even if you are happily married, that other person is on a fishing trip bond for work, something you're calling them and you're like other kid. They, they could just not even be there and you could be at the doctor and just, it's all, all the shit is hitting all the fans. Right. At once. And you are and like, just I hate pissed. you when I have to tell you right now. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So totally healthy. Yes. <laughs> there's that aspect of it. But also we're talking about two kids, but they are twins. Twins. No, I, they are half of each other. They share DNA. They are like exact replicas of each other. What? Why? She like took one baby, ran to the Concord. She's lactating all over, holding her boobs, running to London. And you don't run away like that for just being young and saying stupid things. No, no. And when you're young and you say stupid things, you follow up and say more stupid things. Yes, you do maybe there was a part of them that was like, okay, split up the kids because it's not like I'm never going to know what my daughter was going to grow up to look like. I already have a, have a spare. It's spare. (laughs) You take the extra. (sighs) None of it makes sense. It's so weird. And everybody in their life was like, yeah, we can, we can roll with this. It just, it was not enough of a reason for the split. It didn't make any sense at all. In fact, I think when there are children involved, if anything, maybe before it ends up, you know, that you decide that you aren't going to be together anymore. I think that you try to make it work. Well, usually one person does. Right. And it looks like (laughs) in this case, neither one did. Oh, he was just like, she's mad. She threw something at me. And so I'm taking my baby and stomping on grapes. Yeah. I've got a nanny. I don't need her to help me. I have higher help. So this is an area where like one line could 
at least have a little filter on the plot hole. One line could be like, we'd been arguing for 10 months. I needed to go home and be with my family. We felt like it was the only option. But it was either on the editing floor or it got cut. It just got cut. Well, Disney's like, we don't want to make this too dark. <laughs> right. If she's not dead, we're not explaining it. That's like, <laughs> if we didn't kill the mom, we're not explaining it. <laughs> Classic Disney move. Yes. The next day, as they go to check out of the hotel, the girls are dressed exactly the same and they refuse to reveal who the real Annie is. And Elizabeth Uh. is like, I've got to go. I'm an important designer. I need to get back to London where my real life is. Will the real Annie please step up? And they're like, no, we are not going to reveal who the real Annie is until you come with us and we go on a family camping trip. (sighs) You know, I don't really like that the girls are calling all the shots. I know it's fun for kids to watch it and and have the kids be in charge. It's very manipulative. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you were a parent in that situation, you'd be like, um, listen, little girls, this is the way this is going to be. Martin, pick one. (laughs) We're going. One of those girls has a scar somewhere. One of those girls has, has a birthmark somewhere. There's something you could tell. Right. The mom, we haven't even addressed that the mom's a track star. She runs at every opportunity. She either runs to the bottle or to the airplane. And dad, passive. He's like, all right, well, we'll see what happens. That's going to come up later. Yes, it is. Okay, so the girls are clearly the ones in charge. And um, they all decide, well, this is what the girls want. Okay, mom, the two girls, and dad are going on the camping trip. So... They're ready to go. And Meredith is like, what the hell? You're going on a camping trip with your ex-wife? I have problems with this, which... Understandable. Understandable. Okay. And so mom's like, you're right, Meredith. I'm going to stay behind with Chessie. We're just going to have some girl time. And you guys go. And she tells her something to the effect of like, well, they're half yours now. Ha ha. Neener, neener. (laughs) Right. Totally wrong statement. However... It's like a blended family. No, no. But the the intention behind it being like, you better like these kids before you send them off to boarding school. Exactly. But I cannot even imagine a camping trip with either of my kids' dads and their <laughs> girlfriend. You wouldn't be into it. <laughs> That's when you break out the vodka. Oh, like I that. mean, right? <laughs> if ever there was a reason. Oh, God. Good <laughs> Okay, so Meredith, she's not the outdoorsy type. She hates everything about this camping trip. The girls are making it really hard on her in a series of pranks. The lizard on her water bottle, the lizard in her hair. Yeah, that scene where the lizard crawls into her mouth. Yeah, that is unnecessary. And that lizard is in her mouth for so long. Yeah, it's it's like they held it when they could have had an explanation for a plot hole. They held that. Right, right. (laughs) That made the cut. That like animated lizard situation too long. The girls are behaving like little assholes. Can we just call it what it is? They really are. I mean, I have a stepmom. I have a stepdad. It's not easy when your parent begins dating. They introduce you to someone. They're like, oh, this is serious. We're going to get married. Like that is a big shift for a kid. Takes time. Well, it certainly takes more than two weeks, doesn't it? It takes time. (laughs) But the way those girls behaved, 
they weren't being punished ever. And, and again, dad, passive dad, like, whatever. He's just like, oh, right. All of this comes to a head when they drag Meredith out of her tent while she's sleeping on an inflatable mattress and they just pull the mattress out to the lake. Yeah. Wake up on the lake. This is Grace's favorite part. In fact, she said today, I wish they would have pushed her out to sea further. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she's evil. We don't like her. We don't want her around. But like, honestly, it's horrible. I think that part is funny. (laughs) You were Disney on this one. Okay. Much better than the lizard in her mouth. Yeah, that was grody. (laughs) Then Meredith pulls the ultimate ultimatum. It's me or them. And of course, he chooses the girls. He breaks off the engagement. At home, Nick shows Elizabeth his wine collection, which includes the wine they drank at their wedding. They have an almost kiss moment, but she backs away. She's got, she runs, she track star. Can't do it. And she's like, nope, I'm going back to, to London with Annie. But did Nick just do that turnaround real quick? Like he's super into young, hot, bitchy lady. Yes. And then one question, he just smiles. He's like, okay, I'm done. But you, even if he knew his answer, he would have got mad. Okay. I'm going to, no, I don't know. Can we repair this? We're talking on the way home. Is it because Elizabeth is there? It's because he has a spare, Jessica. Once again, he has a spare. He has a spare. The backup is there. Right. So no worries. No, it's fine. Okay, so the next day, Annie goes home with Elizabeth to London. Tearfully in the rain. So apropos. So when Elizabeth and Annie walk in the door, they're surprised to find Nick and Hallie already there. With his best line. He's like, I didn't want to lose you again. So I chased after you like I should have done the first time. And hey, I got here in half the time because I took the Concord, sucka. (laughs) tied up in a bow, tied up in a big bow. And, um, Elizabeth is teary and she has some reservations, but she kisses him and Hallie and Annie are thrilled. And they're like, we actually did it. And in the end, we see Nick and Elizabeth getting remarried on the QE on the queen Elizabeth. And they have to call it QE. So you don't get it mixed up with her name. Oh, cause she is Elizabeth. You're correct. Right. Yes. But also am I, I know that that dress was super chic Yes. in 1998. And in 1998, I would have been like, wow, that's super modern and mm-hmm. couture looking. But in 2022, I thought she could do better. I saw her sketches. I saw her sketches. <laughs> yeah. And of course, you know, to tie it up in a bigger bow, Martin proposes to Chessie and they're going to get married. There's so much transatlantic blended family here. I, again, blessings. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So as the divorce coach, what do you think? Are these relationships going to work out? Well, I think it's going to take a lot of communication and very clear agreements about how it's going to work and how they can do better this time Mm. with acknowledging What do we know about our patterns of behavior from the past? And how can we improve upon those going forward? Like they're not in Zoom times. They can't like see a couple's counselor via Zoom. This is true. They're going to really have to make a good go of it. And back then calling across the ocean costs a lot of money. 
So thank goodness they have a lot of resources for girls to chat, but also for them to stay connected. I foresee a move by somebody at some point. I think that if anyone was going to move, it would be Elizabeth, although she does have her father, but I feel like she could do her work anywhere. Whereas he has a vineyard, like he needs to be on site. Right. Exactly. So she can have that boutique. She could even be in LA and have her business in a way that flight to Napa. Easy peasy. Right. Um, And how do you keep the girls apart? How do you do it? You can't. You can't. They have a lot to make up for. Those girls lost a lot of time. Right. They at least should have high school together. Agreed. Which would have been Parent Trap, the sequel, had it been made today. Who's to say that it won't be remade? Because I heard some rumblings that they Mm. wanted to remake it. I'm like, you just did this. I know 1998 wasn't yesterday, (laughs) but it feels like yesterday. You just did this. We're going to do it again? Hmm. Mm, I don't know. Sadly, as we all know, Natasha Richardson passed away in 2009 at age 45. Too young. From an epidural hematoma that she sustained after a head injury. Oh, right. At a beginning ski lesson, like beginner skiing. Oh. Yeah. It's just such a loss. And Very she sad. was married to Liam Neeson. And she had two sons. It's just, it's very, very tragic. Yeah. So tragic. In 2020, Katie Couric moderated a virtual cast reunion uh, as a fundraiser for World Central Kitchen, where the cast came together and they talked about the film and it was really cute. Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, the movie holds up. I mean, in spite of all of the massive plot holes. (laughs) Yeah. It's still a fun watch. The music is very of the time. The music is very 90s. Yes, it is a fun watch. Mm -hmm. And if you can, if you're not like digging into the why around it, it is fun. And the hijinks and pranks are fun. And never being able to keep up yourself with which twin is which, also fun. It's a good time. Great family watch. It's a great revisit. It was a great revisit, I think, especially having the context of what happens for some of the characters and the plot holes actually make it funny. I think, you know, a little bit of an eye roll, but it was still a delight. It was a delight. Absolutely. I agree. And so, okay, from Nick and Elizabeth's initial divorce to your work as a divorce coach. Oh, yeah. Excellent tie in. Thanks. (laughs) I, you know, the segues, they're clunky at best, but. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about what a certified divorce coach does? Well, I help women, moms in particular, to through and beyond divorce. So that means at any stage in the process, discerning whether you want to get a divorce all the way through like messy middle. And even if you're still struggling long after the finalization papers are signed, Mm -hmm. I step in and, and hold space for those women First of all, just I say I'm the best girlfriend, your best girlfriend in divorce, because we don't want to wear out our family and friends by making our whole personality about divorce at all. And that happens. It happens so easily, right? We need book club and we need uh, walks with our friends and to talk about other things and laugh about other things and do other things together because it really fosters our sense of calm, 
confidence and, and trust of ourselves. And to be able to put this away a little bit, obsessing over your divorce is no good. I also help women get really organized for every step of their divorce. So that means an attorney meeting or phone call that will mean mediation, or even if you have to go to court or you have to get all of the documents together for a financial affidavit, we break it all down into manageable, accessible steps and make plans to get super organized and get it done little by little. And then I'm a you know thinking partner, creative thinking and accountability partner. So uh, if part of the issue is like, you really need to sleep now so that you are clearer and making these most important decisions of your life, then we create a plan and I check in to make sure that you're, you're staying on that plan where you're resistant, high fives when you're triumphant. So it's really bespoke to every client. However, it is just like it's a partner in the process and, and a hype woman in the process as well, because I'm very invested in all my clients seeing the opportunity to really thrive and be more of who they are and to move through the process in a way that is not about it being a failure or brokenness, but mm -hmm. rather about it being a, really the greatest gift in our lives after having kids. Now, let me ask you, you are the divorce coach for moms, but your clients, you know, they don't have to be mothers, correct? You can just support someone through divorce. Sure. Sure. I mean, yeah, my mission is to work with moms. I've worked with other women as well who are child-free. Mm -hmm. I've worked with women who are not married, that this is a custody situation. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. So, yeah. so there's still a lot to work through, through the legal sure. system when you are deciding to split up custody arrangements. This is a big deal. Yeah. Now, can hiring you as a, a divorce coach actually help women save money on attorney fees mm. and fees that maybe they don't need to be paying for that they wouldn't otherwise know about unless they had like someone like you in their corner sort of guiding them along the way. I mean, absolutely, because okay. we often lean on our attorneys mm -hmm. for more than their legal expertise. I did when I got divorced, you know, 14 years ago, I left long sobbing voice messages that my attorney was like, ching, 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 <laughs> just to listen to billable but, hours. Yeah. Right. So if your attorney is going to charge you 6750 to open up an email, we're going to make sure it's a great email. Everything's in there. We are very clear about the best ways that they communicate. So we're not um, calling them over and over or getting really mm. frustrated. Um, we have an agenda for every meeting with them. So we know what we need to know when we go in and when we come out um, so that there isn't a lot of time wasted. wasted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that we're going to use our attorneys for their legal expertise. Similarly, we're going to get you super organized for mediation. You're, whether you're going to a county mediator, which is extremely low cost, or you're paying for a private mediator, they can't give you legal advice. So we're going to get all the questions that you want to find your answers to before you get in, create your priorities, create your talking points, and have you totally prepared to step into that so you're not rambling or struggling with how to respond when you're in there with an with a mediator and um, your spouse. So there are going to be all kinds of opportunities to save money, and sometimes it's counterintuitive. Every single woman who comes, you know, a prospective client who talks to me, no matter whether they have ten dollars in their account or millions, they're all worried about money justifiably so because of the inordinate financial impact divorce has on women. 
they're really worried about their situation. And so it's really important to know that sometimes you can invest in professional help that actually saves you money and is an identity booster and an emotional booster for you as well. Right. And so when you go into these meetings that you are focused, you're composed, you are thinking clearly, you are not so maybe bogged down or surprised emotionally Mm -hmm. by the things that are happening so that you can actually advocate for yourself in the way that you need to, because it requires a lot of strength. And so it would make Mm. sense that you really need a cheerleader to have helped prepare you appropriately. Yeah. And then we also meet after those milestone moments and to debrief, we reframe whatever happened. Um, What are the wins here? What did you learn here? What can you take away? How did you stand up for yourself? How can you grow in the next session? And then we create a plan to move forward. So there's always that return to finding the support. I think it's also really helpful to have somebody on your side who's helping you brainstorm and be a creative thinker about Mm -hmm. how to take good care of yourself. Even if you don't have a lot of money to like, I'm going to take myself on vacation or, you know, you, even if you don't have lots of resources, that there are ways that you can take good care of yourself. And there's going to be somebody who cares, who can step in and, and ask how it's going. That isn't, you know, your mom or your best friend. So I think that part is helpful too. It is because so much of identity is wrapped up in being a mom, often a full-time mom, being a wife. And so what does it Mm -hmm. look like now when both of those roles are changing? Now you are in a custody situation where you might not have your kids a certain portion of the time. You're no longer a wife. Who are you now throughout this process? So can you tell me a little bit about your training as a certified divorce coach? I am certified through... Only there's only two, I believe, certifying bodies in um, North America. I'm certified by one of them. I am beholden to ethical standards and continuing education okay. through my certification with them. I think certification is really important because not only does it offer different perspective, it offers lots of information. Those standards are really critical because who we show up as ethically and in integrity with our clients means that we're not doling out legal advice, that we're mm-hmm. not, un- unless we're also a lawyer, that we're not a therapist, that we're very clear about those lines, but also that we are really intent on learning more, growing more beyond our own experience. I think it's very easy to show up with our own pain and our own triumphs from our own divorces and feel that we are prepared enough to counsel somebody else. It's like Mm. why the lady at Trader Joe's feels like she can tell you how to get your divorce. Right. Um, But, but really there are many different ways to get divorce and many different perspectives and all kinds of information you might never know, like divorce statutes change state by state. Mm -hmm. And so it, it doesn't mean that I am a warehouse of information state by state, but I know what to look for. I know what to ask the attorney to get that legal expertise. So, so having somebody who's dedicated to those ethics, those standards and, and community with other coaches and best practices, as well as, you know, the ongoing education, I think is pretty critical. And I'm really grateful that I was able to see outside of myself to get that kind of education. Yeah. And so is it fair to say, Jessica, that the services and the support that you offer as a divorce coach is really what you needed at the time when you were going through a divorce? 
Absolutely. And you know, whenever I tell somebody what I do, somebody who's gotten divorced a while ago or has never heard of divorce coaching, they always say, I wish I'd had a divorce coach. And Mm -hmm. I get it. I think I would have saved myself a lot of money on legal fees. I also would have not had to rely on myself to fumble around. I think there would have been a strategy for communication in terms of like, instead of going to text war with my ex, I think I would have found my way to the business aspect of divorce a lot sooner. Mm -hmm. And it would have been helpful to have somebody really reliable to ask questions rather than my family or friends. And, and so while I did make it through a really difficult, really litigious, no asset divorce that costs way too much money, and I'm grateful for the lessons there, more support, of course, would have been a better way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Now you offer a 30 minute, no obligation, complimentary call. What's involved in that process for that person? That's like afraid to make the call. They don't want to get the hard sell. They're like, I don't really know if I even want to do this. I'm sort of toying around with the idea of divorce. Is this for Mm -hmm. me? Isn't it making that phone call? It's hard. It's an act of courage. It's a huge act of courage. And tell me about the process. No, it really is an opportunity for me to provide support, ask questions, hold space for for that person because they've had the courage to reach out. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting because I always say, I'm going to ask a bunch of questions, answer what you'd like, feel free to be as honest as you like or or as private as you like. But the more you can tell me, the more guidance I can offer. And then if you want to talk about what coaching looks like, we can go there. Every time they want to know more about coaching, I think just because it is a safe environment and almost every time it, I am just so humbled that within a couple of minutes, the women who I speak with share great detail about their stories because they need to be heard. They need to be validated and they also need to be reassured that they will be okay. And, and to be offered some tips on what do I say next? What do I, how do I respond to this text message? What should I ask in a divorce attorney consultation? Mm -hmm. And, and so it really is um, an opportunity to really share that power um, with another woman, which is really magical, even if there's tears and, and heartache. And then to think about how could I do this differently so that it doesn't have to be as painful, as hard, so that I can move out of this place of feeling really victimized to a place of feeling really empowered. Yeah. And that's what I was going to ask you too, because it does take so much courage to make this call. Do these women have permission to call you on the phone and just cry? For sure. This is all really hard, hard stuff. It's really hard. And I always say laugh, cry, cuss. It's conversational and confidential. So you could <laughs> right. take the space to do what you need. But it is, it does take a lot of courage. I feel really grateful that um, the women I talk to trust me with their stories. I mean, I'm a stranger, but I also think there's something really critical in that I have been there and I've been there more than once. Mm-hmm. And I've done this two different ways. And and I'm pretty clear about process and the different elements of this situation in terms of radical self-love is and process. So it's an okay place to just let down. And I under, I totally understand. I don't give my clients any homework or opportunities to like do an exercise out on their own that hasn't been field tested by me. 
Mm. And, and so I think unlike maybe you might go to a doctor and say, I'm having this issue and they've never experienced it. And and so it doesn't mean they're not going to be a great doctor, but there's something different when they can say, oh yeah, I hear that. And have you felt this? And and does this resonate? Even if the stories aren't the same, Mm -hmm. there is a connection there. And I think it's important for women who are in the midst of it and feeling stuck and desperate or exhausted or enraged to see like, Hey, here's a real life example of how it can be in the next part. Wow. How hopeful. I think just searching on supports for yourself rather than reading every Buzzfeed article or like glamor article on Mm -hmm. divorce. I think seeking support is the most courageous and beneficial act that you can have. And whether it's me or some other professional, I would wish for every single woman going through divorce, especially moms, to have a really strong circle of support that's intentional. Right. Well, and speaking of articles, my dear, Mm. you, yeah, this is, this is so exciting, you guys. So Jessica was recently featured in the New York Times, the New York fucking Times, (laughs) in an article titled Losing It Love. A coach may help you win. You are featured prominently in this article. You have a gorgeous picture with your pink hair sitting sitting in that chair with your leather pants and those rose petals. I mean, amazing. Amazing. Tell me about that experience. What was that like? What a dream come true. Well, you know, the whole time I got interviewed. I don't know, a month and a half ago before that story ran. So I was kind of like, we'll see what happens. Right. I think I downplayed it until they're like, we're sending a photographer to your house. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God, um, hair and makeup. Like all kinds of glamour shots. We had so much fun. And I was, so it was a really great experience. Oh. Yeah. So it was fun. Well, we will absolutely link to this article in the show Thank notes you. so you guys can check that out. But on to another dream come true. Jessica, so much has happened since we last recorded. Yeah. <laughs> like you talked in that episode on fame about the power of affirmations. And you had said mm. it was your dream to write a book. Well, you did it. I did it. So the book is called The Blended Family Q&A, 400 Questions to Spark Fun and Thought-Provoking Conversations. Now, like I told you, I'm from two blended families, though are obviously many of our listeners. Mm. Tell me about the book. This was just such a golden opportunity. It's a great publisher. They come up with a very distinct outline and then they seek out the author who's a great fit for it. Right. I just had this strong feeling when the opportunity presented itself, this is going to happen. And it did. And this was just such a great fit for me because I'm the question asker in my family. So Mm -hmm. every time we're with my parents or, you know, anything like that, like my brother comes in town with his family, they're all always like, okay, Jessica, ask a question. And I just ask like questions like this all the time. So it felt really like kismet. It was an intense process. So I probably wrote 700 questions over the course of time. And they came back just before publication and said, do you think you could rewrite 11 questions. And I was like, no, (laughs) I'm going to do my best, but I don't know if I have 11 more. Oh, wow. Okay. So the questions are designed to elicit conversation and bonding and all. Okay. 
Yes. And they're good for like little kids through grandma. Like it had to be a good span. It had to be a good span. Yeah. And be super inclusive. One thing that was interesting was really to kind of wrestle with the idea of what a blended family was. And I really resisted the idea of coming up with a distinct definition because I think one of the great parts of being in this time is that we are able to recognize that families evolve and grow in many different ways. And that can include many different versions of a blended family. And I feel really lucky to see that and see the power in it. Mm -hmm. But one great thing too, is like, there are a few questions about blended families, but these are also questions that could be great for any family. And so I have just been delighted. So many friends from our school community and elsewhere, kids of all different ages have been using this like on a road trip or at the dinner table. And no matter what shape their family takes, they're just having fun asking the questions and writing down the answers. And, And that is just like, that's great. That's something you can take with you no matter what your family looks like. And it's just such a great sort of family tradition to begin mm. that like, okay, you get together at the table, you talk about your days, but then to ask each other these questions that you may not have ever even thought to ask and be surprised and learn something, something new about all these people seated together in this place at this time. And and like you said, blended family, I mean, this is great for multi-generational Mm-hmm. you know, households. This is great for families when they get together for holidays. I mean, it can just be used in so many different applications. It's just so fun. Thank you. Some of the questions are are sensitive and mm-hmm. some of the questions are challenging to answer. That's okay. I offer some strategies in the book for like, if things are tense in your household, or these are questions that are like, nobody wants to answer aloud, leave it out and let people write in their answers, the people in your family. and then. Maybe there's a time you can all go back and look at those answers, but there might be ways, I, I believe there are ways to get to those sensitive questions and similarly to the coaching, make space for maybe even some tough answers that mm. will eventually bring you closer together because of the opportunity and the safety of sharing. But there are also a lot of fun ones. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also, could something like this be used in sort of a time capsule sort of oh, situation? Yeah. Yeah, there's enough um, enough room on each page to write answers, but I yeah. do think it'd be fun to go back year after year yes. and see how the answers have changed, changed and see how people answered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a friend who's a great bullet journaler. It's like, it's her artistry. She's magic. And she said, oh, I'm just going to keep adding in what my kids say year after year so we can reflect on it together. And it's, you know, we don't, do we keep baby books anymore? I mean, I think it's kind of like the grown up baby book. That's so cool. I love that so much. I want to switch gears. I'm doing a thing in season three with lightning round questions. So before I let you go, I want to get your hot take on some of this stuff. Some of this is Gen X. Some of it isn't. Okay. First thing that comes to mind, Pearl Jam or Nirvana? Pearl Jam. Best fast food fries. I'm like really picky about fries. McDonald's. (laughs) So it's funny. This is the question that people spend the most time thinking about. (laughs) It's important stuff. It's on my dating app profiles, like finding the best fries in Chicago. And it it. is the number, like when people manage with me, they're like, what's your top three? Like it's the thing they want to debate. Oh my God. (laughs) I didn't even know that. I love that for you. That's amazing. But five guys is damn good. 
I don't know. Do you all have five guys? We do. Um, not one in my area. I've had five guys exactly one time in my life. Oh, okay. Well, they're crispy and salty. Well, so. and that's what you want. That's what you want in a fry. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Favorite 90s fragrance. Oh, I mean, I feel like you're going to have a really good answer for this. No pressure or anything. <laughs> it's your boyfriend's Jacar Noir. <laughs> I used to always wear sunflowers. I love sunflowers. Yeah, it is so potent if you try it out. And it's like that amber color. So oh, it's, yeah. just like, it's so Walgreens mm-hmm. 90s. Mm-hmm. I wore that for years and years. Or your boyfriend's um, polo. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yes to that. Okay. Did you ever own a bucket hat? Oh, God, no. <laughs> You're too fashionable for that. Mm-hmm. No, that's just that I, lots of wide brim hats. Oh, okay. Did you have a big um, sunflower on that? I'll blossom. Probably. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Brandon or Dylan? I mean, Dylan. I mean, I knew you were going to choose Dylan. I'm on team Dylan all the way. Speaking of a devilish like little look. Yes. Speaking of that on. smile. Mm-hmm. Brandon was so goody goody. Like, I feel like he was the guy who I might've had like a light crush on in journalism class, like (laughs) over the yearbook. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Kind of like Andrea. Um, and he, and that's the kind of guy who would have a crush on me, but who did I want to kiss straight Dylan? Dylan. Dylan. What are you, what are you on that? What team dear Brandon? I think I would have gone for Brandon. Not that Dylan's like dangerousness wouldn't have been attractive to me. It would have been. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. What was your first car? I got to drive my mom's was like some kind of Chevrolet station wagon. I got to drive it all the time. I drove it into the ground. I didn't even live far from school, but I got to drive it. And then I did not get my own car until I was in college. Okay. And I had a Pontiac 6000. It was brown with brown interior. It was the brown baby, the mocha mama. <laughs> um, it was, it was terrible car, but it was cush and it was enough. There was enough room in it. I was friends with a lot of football players from Chicago. I went to school in Missouri. And so it could fit like five football players and me. Well, then. Right. My mom and dad were never afraid for me to be driving on like two lane highways, eight hours home because there were five football players with me in the car. It was cool. We were fine. So nobody would mess with us. So not in the brown baby, not in the brown baby. (laughs) I sold I sold that car to my brother and used the money to move to Oregon for grad school. So she served me very well. The brown baby. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Were you a latchkey kid? Oh, a hundred percent. Okay. So this is related to that. What was your favorite after-school snack of choice? Um, American cheese that you could bite into different shapes. <laughs> it's very specific and I appreciate that. And then my aunt got me a case of bubble yum for one of my birthdays mm. and the very first piece of the very first pack that I was chewing, pulled out a cavity. And so my mom didn't throw it away, but she told me I could never have it again. So I always snuck that (laughs) when my mom wasn't home before my mom was home. That's stale, stale gum. 
Mm-hmm. stale gum. And then we had in our living room, a white carpet. So we were not allowed to have red juice in there. Of course it was like, don't drink red juice in the living room while you're watching Brady Bunch. And so drinking red juice, chewing bubble yum, eating American cheese. Man, that is the ultimate act of defiance. I know I was a real rebel. Yes. Okay. A film that traumatized you most as a kid. There was that time when the movie about the nuclear explosion came out. Do you remember that? I don't, but I okay. mean, it, it was probably at like the height of the cold war. So it was yes. something that so, we were all you know really yeah. afraid of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was a really scary one. And I remember talking about it a lot. And then V, do you remember that was like the TV yes. series? So scared of V. Mm-hmm. It was scary, but then everybody I knew was watching it. So I watched it. Okay, your first concert. Um, it was Farm Aid with my parents. Wow. And it was kind of, it was the very first Farm Aid. And it was like Willie Nelson, of course, but John Cougar then, then named Damn. John Cougar. Like it was a great lineup. I can't believe you were at the first Farm Aid. That is so badass. Yeah. And then around that time, my parents are going to lots of shows and then they started taking me. So then Billy Joel, John oh, Cougar, oh. they got me tickets to Whitney Houston, which was oh. not a good show at all. Oh, no. She just wasn't on her game. Well, she was like three hours late. That's what I always heard about her shows. Mm-hmm. And then a little tanked. Mm. Like, it just wasn't a great, what a shame. great one. Yeah. And I was actually just thinking the other day about how in high school, I think it was in high school, I went to the first Lollapalooza. Nice. My husband went to the second one. Who was in the lineup? Who did you see? Oh God. I don't even remember. Like all the cool bands. Yeah. And we didn't even think it was that big of a deal because we went to shows all the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. This last question is for me because I'm selfish. What is your favorite Elton John song? <gasps> Tiny Dancer. It's one of my favorite oh. songs of all time. Like in my top 10 favorite songs of all time. Yeah. yeah. It's just so. It's like the specific moments are so emotion fueled. Absolutely. The bridge of that song, like it gets Mm. me to my core every time I hear it. And I've heard it 10 billion times, like everyone else still to this day, it gets me. Yeah. You cannot hear it without getting a little wistful and also singing along at the top of your lung. You can't. And of course, the fact that it was featured in Almost Famous, Never Heard It. Oh, I mean- mean Great moment, right? Like cinematic yes. moment. Yes. Yes. There are so many good ones though. I'm I'm gonna I'm very curious what yours is. You're such a hardcore fan. I am a hardcore fan. Um, there's a song called The Border Song that I just I adore. It's not a single. Uh, I strongly urge anyone to look it up. It has a beautiful message of unity. It's very gospel-based. I love mm. it. Jess. Thank you so much for joining me. This was such Mm. a pleasure, a joy. You're spectacular. I adore you. I love it. You can dissect a movie like nobody else. It's a real skill. Let me tell you what. I honor you. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's so fun. Jessica, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you? Please find me at divorcecoachformoms.com and on TikTok at Divorce Coach for Moms. I'm right there waiting for you. Oh, awesome. I'll link to all of Jessica's offerings in the show notes. Check out her book, 
check out her feature in the New York Times. Hello. Yes, check her out <laughs> everywhere. She's doing all the things. Jessica, you're amazing. I love you. Thank you so much. I love you too. Next up, Freaky Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Season four. <laughs> Jed Xers, thank you so much for joining us. If you're loving the pod, I invite you to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. We also have a Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash the Untitled Gen X podcast. And we hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye. Bye.